eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to On the Bench. We got a different host today. It's Zach Blostein here with my boys Chris Nee and Brennan Sinone. Brennan's already facepalming. Things are going great. You refer to yourself in third person almost immediately. It's because I'm so special. These boys survived a hurricane. Good job, boys. Round of applause. Um, you know, to everyone in the path of the hurricane, hope you guys stayed safe. You know, it looked look pretty bad, especially a little east of, of Tallahassee um, or west of Tallahassee. I don't know where east, exactly. East. East. Yeah. yeah. Towards Perry, Taylor, yeah. Taylor County, Perry, Madison, Madison County. Yeah. Valdosta seemed to get it pretty good when it got up there. So, yeah. 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 So, hope everyone stayed safe. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, let's let's get into this one. Um, on the Bench is brought to you by Football Coach College Dynasty. With a 95% positive rating on Steam, Football Steam. Coach College Dynasty is the ultimate college football management game for PC. Be a coach and create game plans, call plays, recruit players, develop your team, and compete for national championships. Featuring everything you love about college football, including conference realignment, school boosters, official visits for recruits, the transfer portal, and even NIL. Football Coach College Dynasty is available on Steam for $11.99 today. Brendan, who are our other two lovely sponsors on this wonderful podcast? Actually, I think it's like two and a half, three, maybe. Mm. Let's, uh, let's shout out Chattanooga Whiskey. I'm holding up this beautiful weeded single barrel uh, that Chris Nee, Dane Draper, and myself enjoyed a couple weeks ago in Jacksonville. And uh, now that the weather, Chris, is going to start getting a little cooler. Yeah, we had to deal with the hurricane because of it. That weeder is going to be amazing. It's a foolproof sweet treat. It's awesome. It's one of the many different variations Chattanooga Whiskey has of their baseline, like bourbon. Like They do so much different stuff beyond just bourbon. But if you like bourbon, they're going to do an amazing job with that too. 111 proof is amazing. Their rye is really good. Chattanooga Whiskey, you can find them all over the Southeast, big box liquor stores, smaller mom and pop shops. Uh, you go to Sealbacks, all over the place. Chattanooga Whiskey, uh, we're going to be working with them through at least the end of the year. It's been an awesome relationship. We've gotten free bourbon out of it. I've gone and bought more of their bourbon and, and just taken the money they're paying me to like buy more of it. It's worked out for everyone, I think, uh, other than my liver and, uh, and no regrets. Uh, also, uh, Buyer Sonone is sponsored by the Turner, the Turner Group. Turner Group. Guess guess what happened today? Chris Nee sent us a picture of both Amy Turner and Becky together working on selling a home. Or maybe she five. does exist. Chris was Chris was right. We we have to to eat some crow. Uh, Mia Copa over here. We were wrong. But uh, 
Colin and Amy Turner do an amazing job buying and selling homes throughout the state of Florida. They specialize in central Florida, but their network is so vast uh, and they have so many good connections. They can help you throughout the entire state. So if you're in the market, you do need a skilled, uh, well-resourced uh, team to help you buy or sell. Uh, the Turner Group is really who can help you uh, get started. And if you're not entirely sure like what the process is going to entail, it doesn't hurt to just reach out and ask them and uh, get their thoughts. You can reach out to Colin at 407-403-8546. Get started at theirturnergroup.com. And then finally, I want to give a little uh, a little attention to something that's coming up here on Saturday, September 2nd. So in a few days from now, if we're recording this on a Wednesday, you're probably listening to it on a Thursday. The Battles End Season Kickoff Golf Tournament is about to begin. It's uh, $1,500 for a foursome. They've done a ton of work on this and sold out a lot of different, like, versions of it, but they have a few open to the public still remaining. Uh, it's at Champions Gate National Golf Course in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we could put the details uh, in our uh, in the thread for this at Knowles247.com, but you go to thebattlesend.com, get all the details there. They're running out of spots, so if you've been thinking about it, weather's starting to get a little nicer, uh, go ahead. Battles End will help you out. Is there a TBE 50 code or something like that for that one? Oh, Chris, I think you're right. I think there is. I'm trying to turn and see if that's what it says. Uh, TBE 50 for half off. Oh, and they have two four. They have two foursomes left. So yeah, that's wow. Uh, cut that in half at $1,500 price. I said cut it right in half. Thanks, Chris. Nailed You're it. welcome. The real question is: Is when is when is Becky getting on the podcast for a one-on-one interview with Chris? It's a weird deal. I don't want to be, you know, that guy. I I was thinking of Amy when I said Becky, but I knew Becky existed. Just say, just stop. Sure you did. Sure you did. Um, All right, let's get let's get into the actual meat of the episode. Um, I want to talk fall camp. So I guess we can now say that fall camp is over and we're into game week. um, Finally, Mm. I know for you guys, uh, there were moments during camp where where it seemed like you guys wouldn't get through it, but you did. So congratulations and. uh, Chris, first yes. off, I, w- I want to ask you biggest takeaway that you came away with camp with. They're a really, really good offensive football team. And they're a good football team in general. But that offense is capable of being one of the best in the country. And I feel confident in what the O-line is going to be capable of. I don't think the O-line should be described as elite, but I think they are very good. I think it's the best O-line that's been around these parts in at least nine years. Jordan Travis has taken another step, which is wild to say how good he was a season ago. Johnny Wilson's a more consistent receiver, especially in comparison to a year ago at this point. Keon Coleman's awesome to watch, unbelievable. Destin Hill blew my mind away that he came in as prepared to play as he did. You know, him and Winston Wright both are going to contribute a slot type for this football team, and you feel really good about them as co-starters, which is how they ended up listed on the depth chart. Jaheim Bell is a difference maker at tight end. Kyle Morlock's an excellent number two tight end. They feel like they have four capable people at that position. They're going to use multiple people at that position. They're going to play a lot of two tight end sets, in my estimation, based on watching them. It's And Trey Benson's in your backfield with four other dudes who can carry it at a pretty high level. So, like, pick your poison. How are you going to stop the offense consistently? If FSU doesn't stop themselves offensively, they're going to be really good. They're going to be fully capable of scoring points in bunches. Brendan, do you have anything unique to add to that? I think I agree with Chris. I think one thing that really stuck out to me is, is from talking to people, but just also being around the program, you can tell the way if you're paying attention to body language and interactions, the coaching staff really likes this team and seems very comfortable with the group it has. It's not to say that it's 
perfect. It's exactly where they want it to be right now. But there is a level of confidence in uh, from the, the first few days we were out there. I got out there a little bit later than, than Chris did. But like the amount of retention, the ability to hit the ground running was pretty remarkable. Uh, and and now you're seeing like just in terms of like they shifted to, to game planning against LSU. Like even the things that there was an example the other day where, where Mike Norvell was was getting into chewing out like Jaheim Bell a little bit for something that he didn't do correctly. And he was yelling at him, but it was also complimenting him at the same time while he was yelling at him. Like, I think that's where the program is starting to evolve to. Like the expectation is really high. The bar is high. And it's like, I remember preseason camp two years ago when McKenzie Milton was there and Jordan Travis was there and they were battling out and neither were exactly where they wanted to be. And there was like a day where Mike would just kind of look up in the air like this a few times. And he didn't have an answer for things. And and that's just, that's not the case. Now they have answers for everything on both with, in terms of like personnel schematically, like they just, the coaching staff seemed very comfortable with this team that has seemed clear since they've been out there. And that's only been reinforced through this past month. Yeah. Um, I think for me, just the, the second scrimmage, good blinking there, Brendan, um, the second scrimmage afterwards, that might've been the most positive press conferences that I've seen from FSU's coordinators. I mean, from Mike Norvell to Alex Atkins to Adam Fuller to John Papuchas, they were, it, it almost seemed like they were bullish and they're, and they're never really, you know, outwardly bullish on their team. Like they're kind of always, you know, trying to keep it conservative and, and trying not to be, you know, hyping up the team too much. But to me from afar, um, I've been keeping track of some of the press conferences throughout the, you know, throughout fall camp and obviously have watched um, in, them in previous years, just seemed like the staff felt really, really good about where the team was, um, at, especially after that second scrimmage. Do you guys agree? Yeah. And I thought that was reiterated on Monday when the coordinators and Norvell also spoke again, previewing LSU talking about the fall camp in Rearview, where they were like one of the best fall camps they've ever been a part of. I don't even think it's hype with them. I think they just feel extremely confident because yeah. the work that's been invested, the way the guys have responded, the consistency of effort, I think that's a huge thing. It's like day-to-day, they've been really good. There's not been a whole lot of days where you went, man, that was a bad day. There were some of those dog days where they had, you know, like 13 out of 15 days. There were days where they looked a little tired, a little whoop, but that was out of design. They were pushing them. They Camp was not easy. It, one, it was hot as hell pretty much the entire time throughout August that they were practicing. But two, they got after it. And as they got to the tail part of camp, they did a good job of kind of going hard one day and a little bit easier the next, hard the next day, a little bit easier. And that was to make sure they're in a good space for Sunday when they open with LSU. But in that middle of camp, nah, there, there was no easing off the gas pedal. They they were pushing buttons, seeing how guys responded, seeing how they did. And I think the best thing about camp is the guys that are really good that we went into camp knowing were commodities. You feel very good about a lot of them taking a next step, but there's also a lot of dudes that elevated themselves. Byron Turner comes to mind immediately for me. DJ Lundy, maybe the best linebacker in camp. Uh, some of those freshman DBs, we talked a lot about safety being a concern. And you feel good about KJ Kirkland, Conrad Hussey, some of the other guys, Ashlyn Barker, who's a redshirt freshman in that mix. Even the kicking game, you know, I'm not ready to certify 100% Angus Fresh with Ryan Fitzgerald, but I feel a lot better about where it was than where it was during last season because Tyler Keltner and him competed well. They both did a fairly good job. Ryan did do the better job. Him winning the kicker job was not a surprise to us when the depth chart came out. I think we kind of, uh, spoke that in a notes maybe a week prior to the depth chart that we believed he was going to win that competition. The thing to me is that what we saw, I felt like was reiterated by the staff pretty consistently. And then the depth chart further reinforced that 
So that makes me feel confident as someone who's had the opportunity to watch so much of Mike Norvell's football teams the last few years because of the unbelievably good access we're allowed. I feel really good about what I'm seeing, what I've seen consistently and what they look like going into game one. Awesome. Um, so on Monday, released the first depth chart of the season um, during or before the press conference that Mike Norvell had for game week. You know, pretty much on par for what you guys expected, you think? Yeah, me and, me and Brendan worked together on it. I actually pre-wrote it because God knows I love writing a depth chart before I'm supposed to. Yeah, was that a projected um, depth chart, would you say? It was, but since it was not published, it only existed in the ether. Um, you know, two tight ends was kind of a surprise, but not entirely. I think they wanted to list four instead of probably just going three with an or situation if they did just one. That was one thing I didn't have on the projected. Uh, the tackle situation, that was of interest. I wasn't entirely shocked. That's left tackle Robert Scott with Bless Harris as a reserve. Oh. Right tackle is uh, Jeremiah Byers with Bless Harris as the co-starter. You know, we weren't 100% sure how that would play out, but it wasn't entirely shocking. I always kind of come back to Rob Scott has pretty much started every single game he's ever played in here. I think it's 33 games played, 32 starts. So that kind of speaks to what you expect with that. And then defensively, DJ Lundy, who I mentioned just a few minutes ago, had a phenomenal camp, best linebacker in camp, according to multiple coaches, multiple times. He was listed as a co-starter with Kalen Deloach. That's not a matter of like Deloach taking a step back or anything. Deloach has also been really good. That's a matter of Lundy taking a step up. Uh, I would add I, the one thing that was like kind of, not surprising, but like caught my attention more than anywhere else. Zach was like free safety for them was Akeem Dent or Kevin Knowles, which was interesting. I wasn't sure Kevin would push Akeem this early after making the position change uh, and not practicing in the spring to be a co-starter. It seems like he, he has pushed and I, I think there's a lot of confidence in him as a uh, even though he's new to the position as someone who's just really relied on as being a really good communicator and knowing the defense, but then having the two true freshmen as, or backups as well, uh, Conrad Hussey and KJ Kirkland, I think it shows the confidence level they have in those guys. So like question to you is like, is this a matter of pushing Akeem Dent? Is this just like that? It's all really close between these four guys. That was the one that, that was maybe the most intriguing to me out of, out of all the depth chart uh, revelations. Yeah. yeah. I, I would just say that I, I've heard, in recent days that, that I, that I do think um, Akeem Dent is getting pushed for his starting job. Um, you know, like what you said, Brendan, Kevin Knowles is a guy that they trust a lot because he understands the defense. He knows what he's supposed to do. He might not be the biggest guy, but I think that's going to be less vulnerable to FSU's defense with him at safety versus him at nickel, because, you know, he's, if he's not playing the buck position, um, which we expect, you know, Shaheen Brown and, and Ashlyn Barker, those two guys are listed at that position on the depth chart. Then I think um, he's going to be primarily in coverage, which is kind of what you want Kevin Knowles to be. You don't want him to be helping a ton in, in run support um, because that's not his strength. So to me, um, I, I do think that that Akeem Dent is getting challenged for his starting spot because of the, the you know, because he's a veteran, he's a redshirt senior. Um, I, I think he'll probably be the guy to line up um, against LSU to start things off. But, you know, I, I think Kevin Knowles will be right there. And then, like you said, Brendan, they got the two freshmen and, and Hussey and Kirkland um, as primary backups to those two guys. So, yeah, I, I mean, I feel good about the depth, um, but I do, I do buy that they're, that they're pushing um, Akeem Dent. 
I'm a firm believer that Conrad Hussey was here for 15 spring practices. He'd be right there starting. Chris Nee loves him a Hussey. I do love me some Conrad Hussey. You're right. He is, talking, he is athletically different than anybody else in that group. I was talking to someone today who felt similarly, Chris, and, and they were saying that, you know, if they were opening up against maybe Southern Miss or, or you know, one of those schools that you're not going to be super worried about, they would think that that Hussey would be the guy that they might line up there more often than not. So but buyers, me, buyers to known Zach two sponsored by the Turner group two at least two starts for Conrad Hussey this season. I'd buy that. Chris? I would too. Yeah, I would too. One between the fact that injuries might play a role and two, I just think at some point he's going to get there. Like he's, he's really good. He covers a ton of field, super athletic, willingly physical, does a great job reading the ball. I just I think skill set wise, it's all there for the kid. So I want to ask both of you this question. What was the biggest surprise in the depth chart for for each of you? Hmm. Go ahead, Brendan. You take it first. It was kind of the answer <laughs> I just gave about the free safety position. Different. Uh different, different. Uh there's things that I there's one or two developments, but I don't want to get into them because I don't want to get in trouble. I know it's not good podcasting, but I've been Chris, put on- it over. All right. So <laughs> Keon Coleman, not a surprise, but I was pleased he was starting punt returner. I think we felt that way midway through camp that he was going to be the guy. But if you had asked me at the beginning of camp, if he would have been a guy, I would have probably shrugged it off and not expected that. I guess surprise for me, and it goes back to, I brought it up earlier, the tackle situation. I'm still interested who's actually going to take the first snaps against LSU whether it's going to be Rob Scott or Bless Harris at that one spot, I do think Jeremiah Byers probably starts. Um, but I, I, I'd still find a little intrigue in that just because Rob, as we know, was coming back from injury, working his way back. Bless is a guy who himself came back from injury, but he was ahead of schedule in a sense comparatively to Rob because he got injured early last year and was able to rehab throughout the season. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested. I, I like Rob Scott. He's been a dependable guy for them. I know the staff really likes him. I just worry about him. He was so banged up last year. He kind of looked like a inflexible surfboard at times. And that's not when the O-line's trying to take that next step. I don't know that that's it for him. We shall see how he plays. The truth is in the preseason, because they did kind of handle him with kids gloves intentionally. It was tough to fully get a judgment of when he's facing a, you know, Makai Wingo or somebody else coming downhill on him, Savion coming downhill on him with LSU. How's he going to handle that? And I don't know because I haven't seen that in camp outside of very few reps with him and like a Jared Verse or a Patrick Payton. Brendan, have you figured out an answer yet? I've got like three or four now. None of them are like huge, huge revelations. But how like, many How many are getting you in trouble? None. I'm working around it. Okay, good. Uh, the first is at quarterback, Jordan Travis, and then Tate Rodemaker. Not a big surprise. I think this might be the first time they have only listed two, though. They usually have like a third guy. Yeah. Um, so to me, like that's – that's interesting of not wanting to reveal something maybe that you don't want to reveal or like, uh, yeah, I think you can read into that as you will, but that was a variation of what we've normally seen. And I think we're all as a staff who, who go there every day are very high on Brock Len and his upside and think he's closer to being a guy who can contribute than not. Um, so um, yeah, that was one uh, p- p- offensive line to expand on what Chris said. I was surprised that they only had eight different players mentioned at 10 plus spots. Um, now they talked about having eight to 10 guys in the preseason who they, they thought they'd be comfortable with through the season playing at some point or another. And, and some of those guys like 
eating into the depth into the games going beyond just five. Uh, not seeing Julian Armella or Jalen early, I thought was like a little bit of a surprise, but also like I'm sure we'll see those guys play and have opportunities as the season goes on. I think it was more of a like against LSU, this is a pretty clear uh, indication of we're rolling out with the guys we trust as a coaching staff. I, I thought that was was pretty clear, but like it was an interesting uh, symbol, um, which again, that's that's pretty much all depth charts are symbolism. Um, at cornerback, Azaria Thomas, I thought was excellent this preseason. I anticipate him to play a ton. Uh, Dane Draper, God knows, anticipates him to play <laughs> more snaps than there are actually in the game somehow. Um, but I thought maybe he would get like a co-starter designation uh, just because he's been so good at everything. But like, again, that's just like, I, I enjoy depth charts. I find them fascinating. I think there's things that you can take away that actually are illuminating. I don't mind ores on there. Like I even find that can often, as long as it's not like 30 of them, uh, you can often find something like there that, that is substantial. Like with Chris Metzger with the tight ends earlier, they want to avoid the ores because they, they thought all those guys were going to be worthy of having their own roles. Um, so like, I don't get too like bent out of shape over uh, the depth chart. I find it to be interesting um, and, and fairly like fascinating. I'm happy that FSU does like what we think is like a pretty like, for forward-facing job of like implying like this is what it's going to be this week. I think it's, like, did you see the Oregon one? Where they that's just, the, the Oregon like, one, the, the UF one had a lot of ores. Like I think the entire defense had an ores behind it. Yeah, there's a few that just like what what are we doing? Yeah, not right? helpful. Um, like the fan, like you're think about how much our fans, like people at Knowles twenty four seven, like that story when Chris posted it, it blew up. Like it took off. Yeah. Like we have a we have a, a thing called chart beat that shows like basically a graph of like when there's like interest and it was going going and just like shot up how did you uh, describe that graph uh, graphically is how i described it. it it looked like i mean it it went from six to midnight i don't know what else to say guys it got a, it went crazy but people care about it and like that's my point is that fans care about what the the program thinks of its players they can ask us all all they want and like we can tell them but like fsu putting it in black and white even if it's not like set in stone it is something that like is cool in the effort, like Oregon to, to do nothing with it or to like, I don't think LSU put one out this week. Uh, I don't know if they put them out. I know they didn't do it last they year. They had it as of earlier this week. And actually as of this morning, when I looked at their notes, there was not one in it. So they're, they're probably not going to do it. I think Nick Saban's playing games. It's like, it's just. FSU's it's always very straightforward outside of if a guy is injured, they won't sometimes remove him, even if they do not expect him to play in the game. Yeah. For example, Fabian Lovett last year, instances we did not expect him to play. He remained in his spot. He just wasn't going to play. Jackson West was on it for a lot last season. Yeah. We just never asked about it because we didn't, I think, feel like it was like a thing to really like needle on. But like, I wonder if it was a game that they were like, that Sports Info was playing to see if we would ask. And if we asked, if they would take him off. I just always found that like a funny uh Thing. But, but like anyway, Shakai Douglas, for example, probably yeah. a guy who would be on there as a reserve at slot. Yeah, but he's hurt, as Mike Norvell addressed. Yeah, it. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that FSU puts it out there. I wish I, I went on a little bit of a rant on on Twitter, many many rants on Twitter in the last week or so, um, just not understanding why like teams don't placate to the fans a little bit and give them something that they want. Just seems pretty simple. Give the people what they want. <laughs> All right, so moving off depth chart talk. Um, let's get into game week prep. You guys watched one practice so far, and I know Brendan, you you mentioned you're kind of trying to to toe the line well between reporting what our fans or what FSU fans want to know about the team, while also not trying to give away trade secrets. At least mm-hmm. that's what I read on the board. I don't know if you're still holding t- true to that. 
Um, As of now, yes. Yes. So <laughs> I guess just what did you see on Monday? What did you like? Um, and you know, how do you think FSU is is doing in, in their preparation for LSU? Well, I think the first team defense is – no. Um, I, I, so I thought that the defensive line really asserted itself on on Tuesday. It was a fairly fairly physical practice. I wasn't sure just how physical they would be. Um, they got after it. And I thought that that defensive line set the tone. And I know there's going to be people who say, oh, no, what about the offensive line? What does that mean? And, and the offensive line got better as practice went on. Uh, that, that was pretty clear. And there was a nice, like, back-and-forth element there. Um, but, like – if you're going to beat LSU and their offensive line is pretty damn good, uh, I think you're going to need Jared Verse and Braden Fisk and the rest of that group. If you're going legit six deep at defensive tackle and uh, you feel good about your four defensive ends and you're getting a fun like pass rush stuff, like uh, Fabian Lovett said it really well the other day, and that's you have to earn the right to rush the passer, uh, and that speaks to you know a few years ago was the front porch being tone setters and now it's like being enforced at an even more specific level of like dominating against the run so you can go and get your hosses out there the guys who can go and get after the quarterback you can get into sub package stuff and you can find advantageous like uh, matchups which adam fuller loves doing he loves thinking about defensive line and blitzing as like one-on-one almost offensive type of deals so you can put Braden Fisk on this weakness, or you can get Jared Verse in a one-on-one somehow, some way, even though Brian Kelly probably is going to be helping on not letting that happen. Um, so I thought the defensive line coming out and, and playing with a almost like this little extra edge was really encouraging to start off LSU week. Fabian Lovett was throwing people around. That's exactly what you want. Mike Norvell praised like how much he's worked from being limited at points in camp to like where he's at now. Um, and, and that just seems to be ascending in a good direction. Even younger guys like Josh Farmer and Daniel Lyons, you felt them, you felt their presence. Um, yeah, that t- so to me, exactly, that was the thing I thought was like really encouraging for the start of the week. The thing that stood out the most is like that defensive line came to play. That's what it's going to have to be on Sunday night in Orlando for you to have a chance to to pull off an upset. And frankly, like I mean, I, I think FSU is going to win, but you are an underdog going into that game. Um, you have a chance to make a statement on national TV, and it starts with that defensive line. Chris. What makes you feel the most confident? What about FSU's team makes you feel the most confident about their chances of beating LSU on Sunday? The pass catchers against LSU's secondary. LSU's secondary is plenty talented and got capable guys, but it's a group that's going to have to learn to play together in a game setting for the first time. And I think that's a place where FSU can exploit them. I talked earlier about all the skill that they have on that side of ball that FSU does. And I think they're going to be able to get matchups and FSU is a team that plays for big plays and matchups when they're, they're going to set the tone with running the ball. They're going to be a capable short field passing team, but they're going to eventually get a matchup where they're going to exploit you and go for the big play. And that's what they do. They go for explosives. And I think FSU has a real good chance of finding some of that, Um, you know, watching the scout team work for FSU in practices and what they're thinking LSU might do to them. It's interesting because, you know, and obviously treading lightly here, but there there's things where you know FSU can do things, but there's other things where you see FSU doing something that might seem different than what is maybe the wheelhouse department of what FSU can do. 
and that's because of how they're preparing for the opponent. It's also just interesting to see how they emulate a guy like Jaden Daniels, who's extremely talented, great with his feet, capable with his arm, or a guy like Harold Perkins, who's one of the better defensive players FSU will definitely see all year, and is obviously a playmaker and a game changer. So those are the things that when I'm sitting out of practice, I'm kind of taking away from it. But I, yeah, what can FSU exploit? I think it's FSU's pass catchers against LSU's secondary. And I'm not trying to sit here and say LSU's secondary is mincemeat, that they're not any good. I just think FSU has the advantage in that matchup. Brendan, as the king of worrying about things, um, you know, and if people didn't catch your anxious ramblings on the board the other day, what worries you the most heading into this matchup about FSU's team? Do you think people understood that it was like satire? Like it was an, exact, most, it was an exaggerated yeah. version of... I think most Knowles 24-7 subscribers and fans understood what was going on. But to outsiders, it looked like you were a crazed person um, who... Yeah, I mean, we won't get into that, but let's just say Miami fans were trolling you. Imagine, well, shocking. Imagine if that was like serious, or like like management would have to have probably gotten involved and like, would have been awesome. a welfare check on me. Yeah, it would be like, oh, so no one's hurting right now. Um, what concerns me the most going into LSU week? Um, Okay, so I think like the I'll go with like what is I think legitimately the biggest unknown for me. It, like this is a talented team. It's a team that on paper and even seen in practice is more talented than when it had last year. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to equate to more wins, right? Like that that is part of like coaching and scheming and getting some breaks. Like you're gonna have to utilize that talent. Oh, my internet just dropped to one here. That's my biggest concern is not being able to be heard clearly on this podcast um, and being able to finish a sentence without getting sidetracked. You sound great, sweetheart. Go ahead. Maybe the Miami fans were right. Uh, I need to be uh, be corralled a little bit. Um, but you have – so you have, like, this level of talent. And the unknowns, though, is, like, what is that going to look like when you go against another team that is considered equally talented? And and we don't know. Like, I, I can think that something's going to happen. And hell, like the, the coaches don't even really know. They can f- have a suspicion and have a hunch and and feel very confident going into the game, which I, I believe they are uh, pretty much across the board. Anyone we've talked to on record or, or on background. Um, so I think there is like this level of like inherent confidence, but you go into it against a really good team uh, that it's going to be a primetime game, first game of the season. Like there's a ton of opportunity for growth in the next week do you come out tight? Do you uh, maybe have a weakness that you didn't quite anticipate? Like uh, one thing I'll share is like, they don't know if they think they're going to be able to run the football reasonably. So like on anyone uh, this, this season and be able to be successful and consistently running the football, but like is pass protection going to be elite. They're going to get Jared Verse and, and Braden Fisk and Fabian Lovett and like a really good defensive line, like what should be like a top 10 defensive line in the country on paper every day. And so like how are you going to look against LSU with Mingo, not Mingo. Um, Kai Wingo. It is yeah, Kai Wingo. Okay. Yeah. Um, with, with that or um, Harold Perkins or like there's like there's going to be a bunch of different body types basically is what I'm getting to like that can – go ahead and create mismatches. And so like, what does that look like? And so those are the things that I guess I have anxiety about is like, we think we know what it looks like. We don't know what it looks like. And that is the wild card of what makes college football, especially week one. So, so interesting. Yeah. I mean, Chris, I guess I'll, I'll hand that to you as well. Just what worries me. 
What gives yeah, you anxiety? Uh, yeah, I know what worries Chris is when he doesn't have a battery in his camera and he just freaks out and starts kicking my coffee cup all over the place. Yeah, I went all Godzilla on your coffee when there was no battery in my camera on Tuesday. It was That's the worst that feeling. That's... I wasn't ready for game week. What's weird, Zach, is his panic on it was he noticed like as players were walking, he didn't have the battery in the in the camera. Fine. But he didn't really start getting frenzied for like five to ten seconds. Like there was this delay on it where he was fine. <laughs> Looked for it. I don't know what transpired. I'm trying to get photos of other like people walking in with my camera or with my my phone camera, which is pretty high quality. And instead of just like letting that happen, Chris starts like running away around to like go figure out something. Hey, hey, like, I don't run anywhere. Let's be honest here. Walking briskly. There you go. And kicking my coffee. So what me. concerns me about LSU? Well, obviously they got some playmakers. Malik Neighbors. Uh, Mason Taylor is a dude who, if you let a tight end beat you, he can beat you. He's capable of it. Obviously, Jaden Daniels is playing talented. And they got a very capable offensive line on that side of the ball. I think they returned 25 guys with at least one start on that team. But a lot of that starting experience is the offensive side of the ball. 62 starts among the offensive line. Jaden Daniels, obviously, a ton of starting experience between LSU and Arizona State. Mason Taylor was a full-time starter last year. Malik Neighbors became a full-time starter last year. So a lot of starting experience on that offensive side of the ball. So they're fully capable of kind of handling the punches you're going to throw at them. But for me, it's probably a guy like Savion Jones. He's a guy that's got to elevate and be the next guy for him. We know Makai Wingo is really good. You know, he's getting a special jersey number for a reason because he is that dude. We know Harold Perkins is really good. Well, because, hell, he did it all last year, and he's he's a playmaker. He's a blast watching play in so many different variety of ways. But a guy like Savion Jones is one of those who has to be elevated this year. He played a reserve role last year. He's now being thrust into a more primary role with Mason Smith unavailable for LSU. He's a guy that has to step up. If LSU is going to be effective at rushing the passer, it can't be just Wingo because FSU will have enough bodies to throw at Wingo. It has to be somebody complimenting him. And to me, that somebody is probably a Savion Jones. So I would worry if a guy like Savion Jones comes out there and just starts whooping in one-on-one matchups and starts winning. And FSU has to shift because Wingo is probably the primary focus and accounting for Perkins is also a focus. But if a third guy kind of mixes into that frame, that front seven for LSU, it can get a little bit more difficult for what FSU wants to do. I'll just chime in here. I, to me, I agree with you, Chris. I think the receiver group gives me – FSU's receiver group gives me the most confidence in this matchup because I am not high on LSU's defensive backs. Um, it's pretty much all – it's made up of pretty much all transfers, especially at corner. Um, it's made up of all transfer guys. We've seen Deuce Chestnut in action against Johnny Wilson, and Johnny showed out. Um, and, and then Zy Alexander is supposed to be probably their best corner. Um, yeah, Southeast Louisiana transfer yeah. for them. Deuce is from Syracuse, as we know. Yeah. And Andre Sam, who's from McNeese and Marshall, is also supposed to be in that mix. Yeah, he's supposed to be uh, a safety, right, for them? Like, yeah, and it sounds like it's going to be those three we just talked about. Major Burns, who's a returning player for them at safety, and then Greg Brooks Jr., who's one of their leading tacklers, a guy right after Perkins in that stat category. He's a guy who I think played primarily safety for them last year. It sounds like he's going to be probably their primary nickel veteran guy graduate student high level player i think he tied for the team lead in interceptions last year so it's a little bit of a hodgepodge mix of a secondary but again i think fsu one-on-one matchups they're going to have opportunities but go ahead zach sorry no i was just gonna i i mean that's what i was gonna get into um but but yeah i mean i i think fsu's receivers take advantage of that matchup a ton um what what worries me is two things I think FSU's edge depth is not amazing. 
Um, so after Jared Verse and Pat Payton, you feel really, really, really good about those two guys. But after that, is anyone going to step up? Um, I think that's important. And if not, are guys like Brandon Fisk and Dennis Briggs, who the coaches have gone on record talking about wanting to play some at edge, are they going to be able to develop enough of a pass rush to affect um, Jaden Daniels and, and, you know, lessening the chance of, of him getting through his reads? So to me, that's that's number one. Number two, the Harold Perkins effect. Harold Perkins did not play a role in FSU's win over or LSU's loss last year. Like he, he was not, I mean, he, he made one special teams play. Um, yeah. He destroyed Sam McCall on a kickoff return. But besides that, I, I mean, he didn't play a role in their defense. So he, if you look at his stats for last year, the last seven games of last year, seven SEC games, and then Oscar bowl game, he was phenomenal. Like yeah. he, he completely came on and he was always good, but he completely came on in the back half of their season. And he's playing a different role this year, so he's not going to be as much of a traditional pass rusher. He's not going to be you – know, he's going to be playing more of a traditional linebacker role, um, is what Brian Kelly said in his press conference this week. So that's going to, to that's going to mean that he's going to be playing more in coverage, I would, I would assume, um, and trying to help more in the run game. What, how much of an effect does he have on this game? Because we yeah. saw him – when they played Arkansas last year, K.J. Jefferson is an elite he wore him running quarterback. And – that dude could not do anything. And we know Jordan Travis is an excellent passer, but one of his top traits is the ability to escape the pocket and create plays um, with his legs. So if Harold Perkins eliminates that or at least makes that not a strength for Jordan Travis, like how does that impact things on FSU's offense? We talked about how many weapons they have, um, but you know what is the effect of Harold Perkins um, against FSU's offense? That That's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. If you want to give yourself anxiety, go watch Harold Perkins' highlights from last year. I did that yesterday, and I'm like, wow. Like, there's, like, not many guys that move like that. He's, like, one of those dudes that you look at and, like, damn. Like, Yeah, and it helps he plays beside Greg Penn, who's a very dependable tackler, a very good football player. He's kind of linebacker FSU would like because he's just super dependable. And Omar Spates, who I believe is a guy FSU a little bit kicked the tires on when he was a transfer, is probably going to be the third guy in that group. So they have a very solid linebacker group as a whole. The one thing I'll say about the edge – situation i agree with you i think gilbert's still got a little bit of a way to go to be the guy that he can depend on he's going to have flashes he's going to have good moments i just don't know that he's ultra dependable yet as a high rep guy but i do think byron turner has kind of taken that step i also think he's going to play like a man on fire because he's playing against a bunch of boot boys and byron turner just strikes me as the kind of dude who can play awesome emotion yeah i i agree and it's going to take one of those guys stepping up for me to fully, fully believe in this FSU defense against some of the elite teams on their schedule, like an LSU, like a Clemson. Um, all right, let's move on to the recruiting aspect of this game. Um, I'm really excited about this because, I mean, I've been uh, Dane's been helping me, Chris has been helping me, helping me form this list, this visitor list um, for the LSU FSU game on Sunday. We've had it up for a couple days now, and it's star-studded. I mean. You know, blue chips throughout, multiple five-star prospects on the list. Just a, a ton of really key names making it to Orlando. Um, and, and you know, remember, these guys can't interact with FSU staff while they're in Camping World Stadium. So they're just going to be a fan like you watching the game, except they get the, the tickets for free. I'm sure a lot of us, um, a lot of FSU fans would have liked that. But yeah, uh, A tough but yeah. ticket to, to come by for sure. Yeah, make sure make sure you know a, a top recruit. Um and you know, try and try and leech some tickets. I'm I'm kidding. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's a ton of really talented prospects on here. I added a huge addition today to the list in four-star defensive lineman LJ McCray. You know, one of FSU's top remaining targets in the 2024 recruiting class. FSU has 21 commits right now, and they're probably going to add about four to five more, um, you know, if those additions come. And LJ McCray is, is close to the top of their wish list. I mean, he's a six foot six, 260 pound defensive lineman out of Daytona Beach Mainland High School, number 37 overall prospect and number eight defensive lineman in the country, according to the top 247 rankings. LJ told me today that it's very likely that he makes it to the game. Um, you know, told me I'm, I had to go ahead to report it. So I put it out. And he adds to, you know, a number of guys that, that FSU has a chance to make a move with over the weekend. Um, Chris, I don't know if you've seen the updated list, but yeah. is there any, any prospect or two that, that you're looking forward to uh, to seeing kind of how this, this game impacts their recruitment? Well, it's funny. If I was going to do a 24 and a 25 guy, my 24 guy was LJ McCray. I absolutely yeah. love him. I've been on that guy for a long, long time in the sense of thinking he was a highly ranked prospect. I'm glad the industry finally caught up to that thought process. Georgia loves him. That's a pretty good indicator today. He's a pretty damn good defensive lineman. Kirby's yeah. been pretty good in that department recently. Um, if I had to pick a 25 guy, Dalen McCutcheon comes to mind. He's somebody I really, really like that they got on campus in July. He's going to be there. He's a talented dude. He's the kind of guy that I think they would love to really keep making inroads with. Ivan Taylor, who you recently reported, Ike Taylor's son from <clears throat> Winter Garden, West Orange area, talented 2025 DB, very good athletes. Another one, Max Redmond's a kid. He got offered, if I recall correctly, at the June FAU event that FSU was part of. He also got back up here in July. Very talented 2025 South Florida kid. Those are a few that come to mind. Uh, they're laying some really, really good inroads in 2025. That's been true for a good while. This game's a reinforcement of that when you look at the list. Definitely. Um, a few guys I want to note. Armando Blunt, five-star defensive lineman. I think we talked about him before, but, but a Miami Central prospect that FSU – really really wants in the 2025 class jamari howard um uncommitted guy in the 24 class who tells me he's going to make it up um from south florida miami norland high school he's one of you know fsu's top remaining targets um in this year's class and then two flip targets in next year's class chris ewald from shaman Madonna, the four-star defensive back committed in michigan i feel really good about where fsu stands in his recruitment right now um yeah, I'll leave it at that. And then five-star 2025 linebacker Jaden Perlow committed to Georgia, has a ton of crystal balls for him to flip to Florida State. I still feel, I still feel good about where FSU stands. Perlow told a uh, Sports Illustrated writer, I forgot the name of the guy, but uh, told Sports Illustrated earlier this week that um, FSU and Georgia are co-leaders in his recruitment, and he's committed to Georgia. So you got to feel good about that. He says he really wants to play with KJ Bolden, FSU's five-star defensive back commit, who's also planning to be in Orlando for the game. So head over to Knowles247.com to check out the full list. It's star-studded, and I'm expecting to make some big-time additions this weekend. Oh, Zesty. Zach Bomb? Blow Steam Bomb? Blow Bomb? Blom. Whatever you want to call it, it's going down. Are, are there any names on the list right now, Zach, that you confirmed – between you three, you guys have confirmed all of these. Like this isn't, yeah. so this has been wor- worked on very hard, and you've been able to confirm directly. Is there anyone who's on the list? You're like, eh, we'll see. I'll believe it when I see it. If they show up, Dallas um, Wilson. Yeah, Dallas Wilson's <laughs> one. He's a he's a five star composite wide receiver commit to uh, Oregon, Oregon. Yeah. in next year's class. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's he's said that he's vi- he's going to visit FSU before and then not showing up. He has actually been by FSU. He was by in June for like a couple hours. Is um, he the Tampa Bay? Yeah, Tampa Bay Tech. Okay. Okay. Yeah, six foot three, hundred eighty pounds. Really talented guy. FSU likes him, and and they're uh, they've continued to recruit him. But um, I mean, not any and not anyone. I, there's like some guys with schedule conflicts. Like I know Landon Thomas can't come because he has a mandatory practice that Sunday for his high school. Um, but he'll be tuned in. Uh, he gave me a, a score prediction already too, for the game. So that that's, that'll be good content to, to drop as well alongside, you know, the visitor list. But a thing I'll note is like, I think they're putting a, an emphasis on getting some of the guys in that Orlando region to the game, like Vernell Brown or Trey Brown. Um, he goes by as a receiver um out of i believe that like general area um and and he's a guy that's he's from right near sumter county if i remember he's from a i can't think of the school name but that area wildwood yeah wildwood thank you he's really from wildwood i believe so yeah yeah wildwood's a small high school so that's i can look right now so no he's at jones oh he's yeah he's at jones i think he was at wildwood but transferred to jones in orlando good stuff guys awesome um but Vernell Brown is, is a guy that's a UF legacy, but he really likes Florida State. And I'm told FSU really likes him in the 2025 class. He's like a slot receiver type, um, really electric. And, and he's a guy out of Orlando that, that, that they're, um, you know, giving a ticket to for the game. There's a couple IMG uh, Academy prospects, Gavin Nix, a 2025 linebacker, and a 2026 DB, Zechariah Fort, both four-star prospects in their respective classes that'll, that'll be there. So they're putting a priority on getting their commits there. Top remaining targets in, in 2024, top targets in 25, and some of the local guys in that area who can who can make it to the game and maybe don't have to pay for a hotel overnight because we both we all know that the hotels in Orlando are not going to be cheap um, for this weekend. Is there a cap to how many guys they can have? I believe it might be like 65, if I'm if I'm correct. I, I was told that earlier this week. Um, so somewhere around that number. So they can bring in a number of guys, but I mean we're we have a list that's probably up upwards of 40 confirmed prospects right now and there's some prospects that are that are lesser um recruited guys that'll be there you know alongside some of their maybe teammates or family or whatever um that'll make up part of that group but i believe we have the the majority of the the you know top guys that that they invited to the game and just to clarify further zach mentioned it they can provide tickets but they cannot have interaction they can't provide a hotel they can't provide any compensation for the yeah exactly so that, that's the recruiting angle. Um, FSU can make some big moves on the trail with the win over LSU. Anything else you guys want to get into? Do we want to talk about Zaquan Patterson or we just want to kind oh, of – Oh, yay. Um, yeah, I totally want to talk about Zaquan Patterson. Why don't you talk about it, Brendan? <laughs> I think I've talked enough about it. I mean, Zaquan Patterson uh, committed to Miami on Saturday, this past Saturday on national TV. He's a four-star safety, top 100 prospect nationally from Chaminade down in South Florida, about like 10 minutes from where Zach lives now. Uh, FSU is very much so in it for Saquon Patterson, I think to the point where uh, going into the week of that recruitment, uh, we thought that FSU probably led for Saquon Patterson. We were uh, to be uh, – a peek behind the curtain, like we were planning content and stuff based on it. So it was something that we we thought that Florida State was in good position for, uh, which was kind of uh, interesting because about two, three weeks before then, FSU thought to be running probably third or, or, or fourth, probably third at best. Uh, so I know Zaquan Patterson 
uh, when he when ESPN talked about his commitment to Miami and they asked, you know, who was second or said who was second. It was Michigan. Florida State wasn't brought up, but it was very much so a recruitment in which Miami was focusing on undercutting Florida State and beating out Florida State directly for yeah. Zaquan Patterson. And, and uh, that's what recruiting's about is finding an advantage. They found multiple ones and, and Miami beat out FSU for that. So that's the summary of, of what happened. Two yeah. things to bring up before I hand a baton to Zach. One, he always was going to commit that time period because he wanted to commit before the season really got going, partly because his coach wanted him to do so. He's been open and talking about the fact that when he makes that commitment, he was still going to go through recruiting after the fact. He still intends to take other visits. That's still the expectation, I believe. Zach can correct me if that has suddenly changed. But he spoke openly before the commitment that no matter who he committed to, he was still going to take visits. When he did make the decision, Auburn, Michigan, Florida State, were all in the mix. Ohio State was also included, but I think they were very much the 15. Yeah. Uh, just some extra notes. I mean, I think FSU is going to continue to to recruit him. I wouldn't describe their push to be an all-out push right now. Um, you know, I think they're going to kind of keep things on the low for a bit, um, let things settle. Uh, I, I just, to me, like the true difference maker in this recruitment moving forward probably going to be the, the football season for each of these schools, right? Like if, if Miami struggles on the field uh, this season, you know, compared to last season, right? Like if they don't, they're not over like seven wins. Like I, I think you're going to see a reevaluation of, of that process. But to me right now, I don't feel great about FSU's chances of flipping Zaquan Patterson. Uh, I know some people have put out like he's going to take three visits to Florida State. I have not heard that. Um, I think there's a chance that FSU gets him on campus for a game during the season. I don't expect that to be an OV. I think they would save their OV with him if he does in intend to take one to Florida State for later in the process, so closer to December's early signing period. But to me right now, based on what I've heard over the past few days, I, I think – I don't think he's going to end up in Florida State's class, um, but we'll see. Things change in recruitments, especially in South Florida recruitments, as we saw over the past week. Um, so I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on it, like like Brendan said. I'll be I'll be over at Chaminade a good amount during the season because it's one of the closest high schools to me over here, where I live in South Florida. So I'll be over there just gauging what's going on in, in each of those guys' recruitments, and and yeah, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted. Yeah, he's teammates with JoJo Trader, Miami commitment, who FSU's been plenty involved with, and Jeremiah Smith, Ohio State commitment, who FSU's maintained an active relationship with that very big fish in this year's recruiting class nationally. Uh, real quick, just put a uh, closure on that. Does FSU pivot and pursue a different safety, or is the cornerback board basically the exact same as it was before Saquon committed as it is today? Yeah, I, I don't. I haven't heard of any new safety names coming up for Florida State. They did lose a safety commitment with Red Morgan flipping to Alabama um, a few weeks ago. I haven't heard them pivot to any new names, but I'm going to continue to check on that. Right now, the two names to know for FSU's defensive back recruiting is Xavier Mincy out of Mainland High School, LJ McRae's teammate, who is possibly going to be at that LSU game as well, just uh, when he told uh, our network earlier this month that, that he might go. He said he might go. He didn't, you know, lock in those plans. So we, we have him tentatively on that list. And then uh, Jamari Howard, the guy that I mentioned, will be at the LSU game. He's the other top target for FSU. Um, both of those guys are cornerbacks on FSU's board, is, is what I've been told. Although, yeah. although Xavier Mincy has the frame of a guy that can play safety. Mincy has largely been Florida, Miami, FSU. And then Bama's also in the picture, but Bama yeah. would have to kind of push for him. 
Uh, I think they've kind of slow played him, but he has plenty of interest in them if they get very interested in him. Uh, I would say Florida and Miami are both ahead of FSU at this juncture. Miami was his last trip of the summer. Florida is very close, obviously, to Daytona. And yeah. then with uh, Jamari Howard, he listed six schools. I didn't pay that much attention to it. Former Michigan State commitment, FSU, Florida definitely in it. I think Penn State was thrown out there. Our boy Jamari's not been shy about mentioning NIL being a factor. So, you know, that's how that's, that recruitment's probably going to go down the stretch. But Jamari has visited FSU a lot. Randy Shannon's built a good relationship, as has Pat and others on the staff. Yeah, I think uh, I think FSU sits in a really good spot there. I was over at Norland High School, I think, last week or the week before, and and Jamari and, and everyone around him kind of talked up FSU uh, within his recruitment. So I feel good there, and, and I think – you know, like a, a win against LSU with him in the stands would only help the Seminoles' chances. We all good, fellas? Uh, no, we need one one more thing, Zach. Predictions. predictions. Oh, shoot. <laughs> when are we dropping our prediction article? Uh, we usually do. So this week between the hurricane and this game being on a Sunday, I, we're all screwed up. We usually do it on Friday morning, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but it's a whole staff thing, right? So, you know, us three giving it away. Uh, to remind our listeners who've made it this far, believe Dane and Trey are continuing their uh, popular segment or show from, from last year. Was it Null Thy Enemy or Null yeah. Thy Foe? I, we had a lot of working titles. I think it was Null, Null Thy Enemy, uh, where they do a deep dive into LSU. So there'll be an even more comprehensive, extensive look at the LSU roster. Although Dane is spearheading the organizational efforts of that episode this week. And my man slept through a hurricane this morning. So, like, <laughs> we thought he was dead. no we promises. Thought he died. No um, promises. Um, but anyway, they say all that because, yeah, we can give our predictions here. We'll do the full staff predictions at Knowles 24 7 later in the week. But, you know, people want to hear as we're as they're driving into Orlando, flying in, uh, they want to know what we think. So let's, let's okay. give them some predictions, guys. Let's just say that we have the right to change our minds. Um, anyway. Anyway. I'm going first. I think FSU wins this game in close fashion. I've got them scoring 34 points, and I think LSU scores 27. Okay. A field goal. Uh, a Ryan Fitz magic. Are you? I said 34 points to 27. Oh, I thought it was 30 to 27. That's what I was thinking in my head. Nah. In my head. <laughs> a field goal and then two safeties. Nail biter. Love it. I'm going 31-28 FSU. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it could honestly be even a little bit more high scoring than that. I think both offenses are fully capable of being very effective despite good defenses on the field. Despite the running clock. Yeah, it's going to be interesting with the clock rule with two real high-caliber teams out there together because, you know, week zero gave us some indication, but like Notre Dame-Navy was a lopsided mess, you know. UMass, what New Mexico is like the most competitive game of week zero. So it's kind of tough to gauge that entirely. It's going to be more interesting with like a Utah, Florida, and FSU, yeah. LSU, some of the more well balanced games that will be played. How the clock rule, or not the clock rule, but the new officiating rules and running clock will impact it. I don't think FSU is going to have a ton of empty series. Uh, I think they'll be pretty efficient and blend that with explosiveness. And if they can do that, they're, they're going to probably score within the 30s fairly safely uh, if that happens. I, I am skeptical of LSU's defense. There's a lot of unknowns, a lot of transfers on that defense. That, I think 10. 10. And frankly, like, we, we haven't really talked about this, but, like, I can go through that list. 
FSU was in the market for a lot of defensive transfers. Um, Omar Spates was the guy they considered going in on. And then uh, Andre Sam late in the process was a safety they considered going in on. They probably would have if he had more reciprocated interest, but I think he's a Louisiana guy want to get closer to home. Other than that, there's a lot of guys in that, on that defense that they actually passed on and didn't really choose to pursue. Uh, guys will be playing pretty big roles for LSU. So that doesn't mean – that's not the end-all, be-all, but I do trust the staff when it comes to evaluating guys, especially in the transfer portal. So I think FSU will be able to score on them uh, with some regularity. I think LSU is going to get theirs, but I also think that this defense is going to be pretty good situationally. Uh, so I'm going to say FSU – 34 LSU 28. I think FSU wins fairly easily by, by a clean score. Wow. I'm the most bullish on this team. No, I said 34, 28. I said 34, 27. Jesus. He's got you by a point kid. <laughs> wow. You're really confident there, Brendan. All right. Well, that was on the bench for Chris knee for Brendan Sinone, Who's now off the camera. <laughs> I'm Zach Blostein. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you in Orlando. Drive safe. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.